Hello, and welcome to How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. We're glad you're listening, and you're in for a treat. A quick announcement before we get started. The episode you're about to hear was among the first we recorded, back when our only recording equipment was the Humble Voice Memos app on the still humbler iPhone 6S. Thus, while we are proud of the content, we realize that the sound quality may not be the best. If you find the episode hard to listen to for this reason, we recommend checking out one of our later episodes, starting with episode 6, Battleship Blitz, in which we had acquired our state-of-the-art podcasting microphones. In any case, we do hope that at some point, when you have a bit more peace and quiet, you'll come back and listen to this one. We're sure you'll love it. All right, enough chit-chat, let's get to the episode. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is John here with my uh, brother Dan. Hey, guys. That's Dan. All right, and we're uh, we're here to talk to you about board games today. We're a couple of amateur gamers ourselves. Uh, like to play a bit of Risk, a bit of Monopoly, everything in between. And um, we just want to make this podcast to help out anyone here that's you know struggled to compete with their friends or their family on family game nights. You know, if you're always wondering what properties to buy, all this stuff about Monopoly. This is where you come, right? So we're gonna offer you a beginner's guide with some little, some intermediate, possibly even some advanced points later on. Uh, but yeah, it's just gonna be a you know quick and dirty discussion of Monopoly with a few points in, uh, for the few points that we wanna hit. Sure. First, uh, why don't we go through the rules and some common misconceptions. So, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know the rules of Monopoly or like you've never played Monopoly before, you should probably stop listening right now and like go read the rules or like play a game or something and then, you know, or maybe start a game because, you know, you don't want to be coming back three hours later. Right. Uh, and, and also just take a long, hard look in the mirror and say, why <laughs> have I never played Monopoly? Yeah. That's and you know, I, I think there's a high likelihood that there is a rock that you have to remove from over your head, and you need to come out and stop living under that rock. Of course. So, uh, so anyway, uh, we're just going to go through some common misconceptions about Monopoly, and just to start off uh, with the rules, um, there is a lot of general ambiguity in the rules of Monopoly, so you know you've got the official rules. Uh, but, you know, anywhere you go, you're going to have house rules, pretty much. Um, you, if you play in tournaments, uh, which is, you know, not really what we're going to touch on here, but you might have different rules uh, based on time limits. Um, but basically what, what we're going to be talking about is the sort of official um, set of rules that you would find looking up on the internet or in the box with the game itself, rules of Monopoly. Uh, and and so this is you know, there's no huge rule changes when you go f- from house to house, right? You're always walking around, you're always buying properties, building houses, making money, right? But subtle things can change, like how are you dealing with free parking? You know, are you putting money in the middle, taking it out? Are you? Is it just a free spot? That's one thing we'll talk about. Um, and also. How are you, ha- you know, what's allowed in trades, right? Sometimes some people are a little bit more liberal and say anything goes when it comes to trading and mm-hmm. other people like to stick to the book. So 
Yeah, that's just a couple of things we're going to talk about. And should we start with the free parking or? Yeah, let's start with free parking. So officially, uh, free parking is just that. It's free parking. So you get to land on the square and you don't have to pay rent to anybody. You can stay there um, for the turn, that is. And uh, lots of people play where, you know, if you land on taxes, uh, that money goes in the middle, etc. And then when you land on free parking, you take that out. That's actually not officially how the game is played. Uh, But, Mm -hmm. of course, um, you know, if that's part of the house rules, maybe you adjust your strategy. But we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, But that is the official ruling. Free parking is just free parking. Right. Uh, So another thing that is that I thought was interesting, at least, is that um, the banker, um, which most of you know, is responsible for dividing the money among the players at the beginning of the game, is also responsible for making sure players collect their salary. So in other words, um, if you pass go and you realize, you know, that you passed go and didn't collect your salary, then you, um, you know, you tell the banker and the banker has to give you your salary. And actually, it's the banker's fault that you didn't collect your salary. Yeah, right. It's not really on you. It's on the banker to give you the money. So if they forget, you know, they've got to pay up. Right. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, let's also talk about um, buying properties. Uh, So I feel like this is this is also a... um, Maybe if you've only played a few games of Monopoly, you haven't come up against this. But if a person lands on a Monopoly property and does not want to buy the property, that property goes to an auction. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you may have known that already. Uh, But even if uh, you are the person who chose not to buy that property, you can still participate in the auction um, and make a bid for that property, even though you chose not to buy it outright. And also, the bidding uh, the bidding starts at you know exactly one dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, you can pay anything for the property. You can pay less than what the mortgage is for. So that yep. just would be a screamer deal. I mean, you you'd be an idiot not to, right? Because you just make money if you could buy it and immediately mortgage it. So always be on the lookout for these auctions. Yeah, and, you know, especially if you're playing with people that are a little bit more lax and casual. And they're like, I don't, you know, I don't want that. Yeah. Well, take advantage of it. Yeah. Snapping up a property for less than it's worth is huge. Always a win. And if nothing else, you bid up the price for the next guy. So Right. Yeah, bidding strategy is something we can, you know, that's a whole other podcast right there. Yeah, absolutely. We should, we should do another podcast on the game theory of auctions. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, so uh, I think one more, one more aspect of rules before we get into, like, you know, trading and stuff, which will be more in strategy is uh, bank loans. Uh, so you will probably notice if you look at the property cards that if you turn it over, it says it says something like uh, mortgage, mortgage value. Yeah. Mortgage value. Uh, and this is about half of the values, the property's value. Um, so basically what you're allowed to do is if you own a property, you can mortgage it, which means you take out a loan uh, from the bank for half the value of that property. Meanwhile, you cannot uh, charge rent on that property if anybody lands on it. And later in the game, you can 
pay back that loan at the full value of the property. Is it plus 10%? Yep, plus, plus 10%. 10%. So the full value of the property plus 10%, uh, you can pay it off uh, later in the game and then get um, the right to charge rent again for that property. Right. So I think for a lot of beginning players, um, I don't know, at least when I was a beginning player, it didn't really make sense to me why somebody would ever want to do that. But um, we will get into it later why you probably do want to do this um, every game. And also, uh, when you have a property mortgage, say you say you had a monopoly, you owned all three of the red properties, but you needed to mortgage one of them. Um, this is just a kind of a technical rule. You still get to charge double rent for the other two. Okay. So, uh, you know, if you have a monopoly, you charge double the normal, and, and you don't have any houses, you get to charge double the normal rent. You still get that bonus if you if one of the properties is mortgaged. You still count as the owner. Cool. Uh, so, so yeah, let's let's start uh, hitting the rest of our points here. So, uh, I think one one more point on uh, rules actually is external pacts or agreements. Oh yeah, uh, are not allowed. Uh, so if this seems officially, like it would be obvious to say they're officially not, they allowed. are officially not allowed. So, um, in other words, John, I think you had a good example of something like this that happened. Right. So I was playing with a couple friends and we'll, we'll give them fake names, uh, Scotty and Jared, uh, David, and then we'll just, yeah, just unrelated to their real names. And, um, and so Scotty was in a great position. Um, he was in the best position on the board uh, if he could make this trade with David. And so he made this pact with David where he said, David, if you give me this property, I won't charge you rent until uh, both of the other players have been knocked out. And other players being me and Jerry. And so um, David made that pact and actually it didn't end up working out that well for him. But um, that kind of a thing, charging or like, Making a deal that extends kind of into the future is not allowed, not provided for by the rules. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Ba basically everything happens in a cross section. It can't tie. It can't tie into any other uh, time period. So, um, you know, you are more than welcome to let a person who lands on your property pass and not play rent, um, and you can even do that over and over again as they keep landing on their prop your properties but you cannot make a declaration or a pact or any kind of deal that says you will not need to pay rent uh, on my properties or sort of anything of that nature like john said that extends in the future mm -hmm. so maybe a fine line but it's something to keep in mind okay so now uh we're going to talk about actual gameplay and we're going to imagine uh you know you've just started the game it's your first time around the board uh so what are you trying to do this first time around the board yeah i think that's a good question i mean for me the main the main thing is you've got 1500 right so what are you doing are you buying every time you land on something mm -hmm. or are you keeping a little in, the, in your back pocket for the next time around uh what do you think dan um Honestly, every time I've played, I kind of just end up buying everything I land on the first time. And uh, I also feel like I don't win all the time, which, disclaimer, there is no strategy that helps you win every time. Uh, but anyway, going back, 
uh, I don't know, looking at the board right now uh, and seeing and knowing what we do about certain properties, um, you know, maybe being more lucrative than others, I'd probably buy the ones that are more lucrative if I get the chance and maybe pass on the ones that are not. Um, right. But yeah. Anyway, that none of that was very specific. So why why don't you go? Well, why don't why don't we get specific? What do you what do you mean by <laughs> properties being more lucrative than others? Okay, so so like I feel like it's pretty common knowledge that those orange properties right before free parking are pretty much the best place to be. At least I've I've heard it said, and that's because. Uh, they're like right across from jail. Like I think one, two, three, like six squares. Like if you're if you're in jail and you roll either a six or an eight or a nine, which is pretty likely like, considering that yeah. you need to roll doubles to get out of jail. So six, right. and, a six, six or and eight, an eight. That's what that's like a third of the time. One third, yeah. You're getting out of jail. You're going right to an orange square. Right, and so. Um, you're gonna have people disproportionately landing on those properties. So I feel like if I have an opportunity to buy one of those properties, boom, I'm gonna buy it. Uh, everything else, um, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, I guess it depends on maybe where the cards will send you. Depends on maybe how expensive it is to build houses and develop. And by cards, you mean community chest and chance, right? Correct. Okay. Well, yeah, so so my kind of thought on this is that there's so few properties to buy total that you every time you pass up on one, the next time you come around, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be less properties available next time you come around the board. So I think that you just give up too much by not buying on the first time around. Okay. And I think you say you, you know, it, it generally takes about, you know, four or five turns to get across, get around the board. Maybe even less if you roll doubles, right? Hmm. And um, you know, that's that's four or five chance, four or five properties that you could have if you roll right. Now you're not obviously not guaranteed to roll on a property every time or hit a property every time, but I just think for me, I've always chosen to try and build up properties in the beginning so you have more of a chance of working your way into Monopoly later. So in other words, uh, buy everything you have an opportunity to at the beginning so that you have an opportunity later to trade those properties which may not be valuable for you but may be more valuable for someone else if, say, they landed on the same color or whatever. Right. And then maybe you get more of a chance of eventually gaining at least one Monopoly, which right. is the name of the game, after all. That's true. It's pretty up in the air. I mean, you definitely don't want to come out empty-handed after your first round. There's no reason to. Yeah, that's like a death sentence, I feel like. Exactly. So, I don't know. Um, yeah. So, so then, like, so I, then I guess we agree that it's, it's good to buy anything you can at first. Um, definitely at first. Right. So... I've I've done some reading on this and like pretty much all these articles that I've read have said like don't buy utilities uh, and there are like reasons there are good reasons like not to buy utilities um, you know or, or like I shouldn't say not to buy them uh, that they're less valuable than other properties 
Um, is that a reason to not buy if you land on them the first time around? Um, now, I would say yes. And I think what Dan's referring to is uh, a very handy chart mm-hmm. that you can find on amnesta.com, I believe. Yeah, we'll, we'll get it in the show notes. Right, and so this chart uh, plots the break-even time for each of the um, properties, and that just means how much, how long is it going to take for you to recoup what you've invested and it's on a number of opponent roles. So like how many turns, so say you're playing with four people, you know, every turn you take is three opponent roles, possibly more if they roll doubles, right? And so for utilities, they have, even if you own two utilities, they have some of the lowest or some of the slowest break-even times, uh, taking roughly 50 roles from your opponent to make back the money that you put in. So every time, every 50 opponent turns, you're gonna make back, by the way the chart works, $150. And that's if you own two. Mm-hmm. So it'll take you 100 turns to get back your full investment of $300. Um, and that's if you're able to get both of them. So compare that to the orange properties where if you have, if you have three houses on the orange properties, you're recouping your investment, you're recouping $300, uh, the same amount that you put into utilities. Uh, you're recouping that every 10 turns, every 10 opponent rolls. So they're just way, they're about five times stronger than, uh, no, actually, about 10 times stronger. Well, okay, yeah, that, okay, I didn't I didn't realize that before, that three, buying three houses, buying three houses on one of your properties, right? No, sorry, sorry. Right, so buying the third yeah. level of houses mm-hmm. costs 300 because Cost I believe the house, orange ones cost 100 Right. Okay. So that so then that third round of houses for this orange set of properties costs three hundred dollars, and that's the total amount it takes to buy these utilities, which you can't even build houses on. Right. They don't scale. That's that's a very yeah. big part. Right. And now railroads are another topic. So railroads also don't scale, but they provide a lot more bang for your buck. Especially early in the game, I feel like. Right. Because there's one. One railroad, if you land on it, you have to pay like $25, right? Right. Even if the, yeah, if the, if the person only owns that one, you still pay 25 Right. And 25 isn't, it's not huge. But like everything else is like but, six. So if you, right, so if you have one railroad, um, someone's going to have to land on it eight times for you to get your money back. Right. If you have two railroads, um... It's going to also be still going to be eight, eight times. times. You have three railroads. Uh, also you're eight. in 600 and it costs hundred six, six times. Oh, it costs a hundred. Oh, that's 100. right. That's right. It was 25, 50, 100, 200. 200. Okay. Right. So a third, if you have three railroads, then, you know, they only have to land on a railroad on one of those three railroads six times for you to make your money back. Right. When you have four, it only takes four times for you to make money back, and you have more of them, so they're way, you know, opponents are way more likely to land on them. Okay, so that makes sense. So, so I mean, yeah, railroads, you've got four, and no other set of properties has four. Utilities have two, which means they're really bad, and you can't build on them. Right. Um, and railroads, you can't build on them either, but but you they know, like like you just explained, like it's the recuperation of 
the funds you put in is really quick. And so right. it makes sense. Now, um, can we compare that to like, let's say the orange property, since this is our orange standard our, is our, is our gold standard essentially. Right. Exactly. Here's the thing. We'll take the kind of mm -hmm. ideal scenario. We'll compare four railroads to an orange monopoly with three houses. Okay. Mm -hmm. So four railroads, you haven't put as much money in. Mm -hmm. Um, you should be about, it should be 800 into the railroads. Whereas with the orange, I think you'd be about, uh, do some quick math here. Um, about 1200, uh, Oh, for you know, three, for three. Well, possibly more like 1400 into. Oh, yeah, I think that. Um, chart. Let me pull it up. Right, yeah, yeah. Keep okay. Talking. So, three houses to cost $1,460 on the orange, and, it, uh, and, and having four railroads only cost 800 Now, the railroads will pay back. Well, the railroads will pay back $200 every 13 rolls. Mm -hmm. The right. orange properties will pay back. $300 every 10 rolls, every nine and a half rolls. So the oranges are strictly better at that point. Right. However, you've had to have $660 more invested in them. Yeah. And so what it comes down to is that railroads are worth it early in the game. Yeah. Because $200 is a lot early in the game. However, later in the game, um, doesn't feel so bad. It's, it's rough, but it's not awful. Whereas, like, with the orange houses, you're getting, uh, I don't know the rent exactly, but you're getting way more every time that, that, that someone lands on it. I know, I know the, the original rent, but not, not when you have three houses. So. Right, yeah. Yeah, it should also be said that we're doing this without an actual set of monopoly yeah, on hand. Uh, that's uh, our bad there. Bit of an oversight, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll make, it, we'll make it happen, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think... While you were talking about this, I think I realized sort of the value of cash flow. Um, so, like, railroads are something that I feel like you can maybe, like, you put you put much less into it. And right. um, so I guess you, you're able to have it for longer, probably, on average, than you would be able to have, you know, Orange Monopoly with three houses, or really, like, maybe any Monopoly with three houses. And... Um, and we keep on talking about three houses, so so we should just say that like in general, like three houses is pretty much the sweet spot. Yeah, it's a three, ha three house rule. If if you yeah. look at um, so you can you can do some simple math to figure out why this is true. Um, mm -hmm. If you look at or you can just look at the chart that we're gonna include. Right, as well. but, but if you look at the on. rent scheme, the the difference from the regular rent to one house will be pretty decent. The difference from in rent from one house to two houses will be even bigger. The difference from two houses to three houses will be the biggest. Mm -hmm. So you'll maybe go up even sometimes like $200, $300 in rent yeah. for a $100 house. The, the difference from the third house to the fourth house is, is not as big. Mm -hmm. And the difference from fourth house to hotel is about the same yeah. as, the, as third to fourth house. So basically you're getting the most increase in rent for your house, which is constantly, which is like, doesn't change in price. Yeah. Um, so you, you want to be getting the most out of the house that you're building. And that's why there's three house rule. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically to, to get the most bang for your buck, you want to build three houses, but obviously building three houses on any set of properties is going to take a lot of capital. 
Um, so yeah, like our our orange ones take fourteen hundred and sixty dollars to buy all the properties and get all those houses built. Uh, owning all the railroads takes eight hundred dollars. Uh, so like I was saying earlier, um, getting all the railroads is easier, and it starts and it also pays off quicker, which means it's like all of that time it's sort of working for you and putting more money back into your pocket so that you can and invest fund other things. You, so yeah so that you can fund building on other properties potentially so yeah collecting properties and now consolidating properties is right probably what we should talk about next so go go ahead so we've kind of yeah we've already kind of moved into it a bit um but what, what we what we mean by consolidating properties is this idea that at a certain point in the game, you're not going around the board expecting to pick up new properties. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just probably very few of them. There's probably three or four properties left on the board, and and you know odds are that you aren't going to be the one to land on them, right? So like if you're playing with four players, you know you might get one out of those four properties. You shouldn't expect any more than that. And so this is when you should look to see. Well, you might even be looking before this, right? You should you should see this coming. Know that the game's going to hit this stage. Plan in advance what your end game is going to be. Mm-hmm. Think about what monopoly am I going to win this game off of? Yep. And obviously that can change because of what happens when you make another player go bankrupt. Things open back up. But what I'm saying is if you have if you have Baltic Avenue, right? And then you have uh, two of the pink so for those who aren't looking at the board, the Baltic is like one of the two purple properties that are like right next to go and really cheap. Right. So if you have one of the cheapest properties, which is only a monopoly of two, so you'd only need one more to get your monopoly if you want to trade with someone, um, as opposed to your pink, you have two pink properties, which are right off, right outside of uh, jail. They're moderately priced, a little bit on the low side, mm-hmm. uh, but you have two of them already. Um, you're going to think to yourself, well, you know, and say you have other kind of random properties, right? And so you're going to think, well, I'd really rather develop the pink monopoly because the purple one's just not going to bring in enough money to win you the game. Hmm. Even if someone hits a purple or a Baltic Avenue with a full hotel, they're only paying 400 and that's hmm. just not game ending, right? You're not going to ever put someone out. So this is kind of the stuff that you need to be thinking about is, What's the strategy that's going to win me the game? And then you do whatever you can to pursue it without giving in to other people's uh, winning strategies, I guess. So other people will have their monopoly that they're planning to put together, right? So you have to really think about this when you're deciding what to trade um, and what to sell. So you you can sell properties as well as trade them. And you can also buy properties, of course. Um, Like sell and buy to other players is what I mean. It also brings up another point, which maybe I I should have mentioned earlier, um, which is that past your first time around, maybe you know even past your second time around. Again, you should always be thinking forward. Um, the general rule of thumb is you buy properties for two reasons: one, because you're working towards a monopoly, and two, because it will cut someone else off from a very strong monopoly. So if you have the chance, if someone has two orange properties mm-hmm. and you land on the third, yeah. you're going to buy it. You should buy it yeah. because if they get a hold of that, you know, that's possibly game over. Yeah. So there's, you know. And then you can, I mean, suppose you have your own monopoly with two things. 
like maybe you can hold that property as leverage if that person ever ends up with the one that you need. Right. I don't know. Exactly. Maybe maybe that's not the best thought process, but well, and also the nice thing about that scenario where you buy something to block someone else is that you can just immediately mortgage that property. Yeah. Sure. And you get half your money back. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and you're never you don't want to collect rent on it anyway. It's not going to pay back. Right. Anytime soon if you don't have any houses on it. So. You know that's just an easy choice, but sometimes you do you know yeah pick up the third property of someone else's monopoly just to use as trade bait. Right. right. Um, so. Yeah. So I I kind of want to talk. I I think we can get more into trading now, but um, going back to your scenario where, like, you have one of the purple cheap properties, and you also have two of the pink property. Mm-hmm. Um. So like, I could. I could see a scenario where, like, you know, your opponent, like, also has one of the pink properties and one of the purple properties, and you say, oh, I'll trade you this purple for that pink, and then we'll both have monopolies, and that might work out all nice and good, but but what if it's not, what if it's not that simple? What if, like, you know, how are, how are you going to get somebody to give you that third pink property? You have to offer, I mean, you... You've got your only option is to offer them something that's worth it for them, which is kind of the tough part. So say you're say you're stuck with kind of you know a lower value value monopoly like the pink or the light blue. It might seem like a bad idea to kind of trade away the third you know yellow property to someone to get your third light blue, mm. and that's where you have to decide: is it worth it? Um, in a lot of games, if you're playing with a lot of players, there's only so many monopolies to go around. And if you don't get one, like, you know, getting more than one monopoly is, is almost unheard of in these kinds of games. And yeah, yeah. Un- until there's less players. Sure. So, you know, sometimes a mutually beneficial trade where you're both getting a monopoly, but you're both ahead of the other two players mm-hmm. can be worth it, even if you're at a slightly uh, lower position after the trade. Yeah. So, but, but again, like now we're, we're talking about a scenario where you have two and this person has two and like, I'm going to give you your third one and you're going to give me my third one. And it's nice and neat, but like, what if I have two of, you know, the light blue and you have two of the pink and Josh over here has like the third one of the pink and like... Hilberto over here has like the third one of the light blue. Right. Like what, like how are, how do you like make this pan out for you? That's a great question. And I think the, the only way to do it is to be thinking three steps ahead. Um, say that, you know, that another player has stuff that you want. A third player has stuff that the second player wants but they're not willing to trade. You can trade with a third player mm-hmm. in kind of a neutral trade to yeah. get stuff that's more desirable to the second to player. The second player who you know, has you, what you want. Who has yeah. what you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then then trade and then make the trade. You can do that. A lot of times though, if you're playing with people that know what's going on, yeah. there's sometimes just not a way to make it work. Sure. Um, that's why you need to that's why you want to have as many properties as possible. Sure. So you have the most options when trading and you can put something together somehow. Yeah. Make it work. 
it's not always going to come out clean. And a lot of times games are won and lost by whether you can make that jump. Sure. So, yeah, that, you bring up a really good point there um, in that if you have if you have people who know what they're doing, um, you know, they're they're obviously going to see right through. Oh, like I'm just giving this guy a monopoly if I do this like seemingly neutral trade, if I just like see ahead. Um, so I, I kind of, I do want to, uh, talk about the human element mm-hmm. of this a bit. Um, uh, but before that, I think one more important point to go through on trading is let's stick with the example you gave of the light blue trading for the, um, the yellow. Okay. So, so in other words, um, so the light blue, this is Connecticut Avenue, Vermont Avenue, Oriental Avenue. Um, it's it's the three right before jail. And then uh, the yellow, we have Atlantic, Ventner, and Marvin Gardens. Uh, and these are, uh, ironically, right before the go-to jail square. So on opposite sides of the board, buying a house for the light blue monopoly costs $50. Buying a house for the yellow properties costs one hundred and fifty dollars. So um, you mentioned that it might like it might seem disadvantageous to give this person the yellow monopoly, and you only have this like little light blue monopoly, which maybe doesn't pay out as much, but at the same time, it's easier to develop. So like by the time you you can pay one hundred and fifty dollars, you know, per property and have three houses already like be in the sweet spot and meanwhile your opponent who has you know these other properties will have only one house and the payoff of one house on the yellow properties is way less than the payout of three houses on the light blue properties you know meanwhile um, you're gaining money on those and you know maybe opening yourself up for other ventures Uh, so timing of the deal can also be big too because of this uh Say you, you both have, you know, just for the sake of argument, you both have zero dollars mm-hmm. and no no liquid funds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you give the other player the yellow monopoly and you get a weaker monopoly, it's probably going to, or it's, you know, they're going to get more rent more immediately the rent. from their yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they might be able to kind of outrun you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas, say you go into this deal, and since you've been buying cheaper properties, like mm-hmm. the light blue, you have $400 in cash. Well, let's make it a little bit more realistic. So, I say you have $600 in cash, and your opponent has $200 in cash. You have 400 more, but mm-hmm. he still has a little bit. Sure. Um, this is great timing for you to make the trade, because you can immediately right. capitalize on the monopoly, yeah. whereas they cannot, even yeah. though they get what can be considered a stronger monopoly, sure. um, you have the ability to capitalize on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so this also leads to kind of a paradigm shift in what you think of as a strong monopoly too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like if you look at this trade from kind of the perspective we've been giving it, you know, maybe from the other side, you wouldn't want this trade to go through. Maybe you wouldn't yeah. even want the yellow monopoly yeah. because you know that it's harder to develop. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, uh, it ultimately ties into the human element. Yeah. Um, you're not going to be playing experts. You're going to be playing right. other people. Yeah. I, I think talking about the human element is maybe going to sound silly to some, to some people, uh, especially if you're like a, 
you know, die hard into the numbers and want us here want to hear us talk about the numbers of Monopoly. I think I think mostly we've been doing that, but um, I mean, you know, you you have to remember too that you're playing against people. Uh, people have emotions. People are not perfectly rational, uh, and people form associations that are not necessarily true. Form like bonds of trusts where they maybe shouldn't. I think a lot of the human element in this game is being able to sort of cultivate that trust in your opponents early on so that like later they might be more receptive to trades. Like this is, this is what's known as the norm of reciprocity. There's a fantastic book that goes into detail about it that I can include in the show notes. But if you give, if you give something little in the beginning, people will often feel like they sort of owe you something. You know, I, I let you pass free without paying rent on my property early in the game. And now I'm offering you this trade, which is like pretty even not, not that you want to necessarily like bring that up, but um, you know, they'll, they'll remember that you let them pass free and they'll be like, ah, yeah. Okay. We're square now. I think so. And, and I feel like that's maybe a little bit of a more difficult part of the game to, to navigate or make concrete statements about, but it's something you should always remember is that you're playing against humans. You're playing against people, and so yeah. you can manipulate their opinion of the game. Yeah. That's a big way to do it, is to convince them, um, you know, convince them, hey, if, you, if we don't make this trade, you're not going to ever get a monopoly. Mm-hmm. Play off their fear yeah. that they only have, that, like, this is their only option, or, you know, mm-hmm. in, that, in that case, you're, you're just you're manipulating them emotionally or manipulating their perception of what the game state is mm-hmm. uh, in order to make the trade seem more favorable to them or like at least yeah make it more favorable I feel like they have no choice almost sometimes is, is one way to do it mm-hmm. this is just possible if you're if you're a little bit crafty about it yeah you can't be too obvious because sure. people will mistrust right, exactly. you yeah yeah so uh, you know 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 the game but also know your opponents you know different different people will respond to different things as well because they have different personalities so right um, so yeah uh, that's that's kind of a lot of what makes it fun uh too is the human element and also the element of chance um which i don't think we're we're gonna go into that too much uh, no at least not right now but it doesn't um, so it doesn't come into the game too much as far as strategy goes mm-hmm. other than the fact that it's the reason why the orange and red properties pay off the quickest. Right. Um, You know, you have stuff like rolling two dice and summing them together. You're generally going to get about seven. You're going to go about seven spaces. That's Mm -hmm. the most common rule. Right. Stuff like that will slightly, very slightly influence which properties are most likely to be landed on. And there's also stuff like community chest and chance that make other properties more likely to be landed on. Mm -hmm. So what we've been talking about has been already incorporating this chance right. into our analysis as mm-hmm. far as it's concerned with how you play. A lot of times you there's not really a way to play around chance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you just get the go to jail card. Sure. In community chess, and there's not really much you can do about it. Even if you know that it's in the deck, you still, mm-hmm. you know, can't control what you roll. You sure. might you know, there's there's not much you can do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So so yeah, it is it is what makes it fun. Uh it is what makes it so a beginner can 
you know, maybe beat an expert one out, like one out of 10 times. But like, if you, if you can play the game in a way that the outcome is not solely dependent on chance, you've got a good strategy, you know, your opponents, uh, you have a game plan, you know, based on how your first time around the board panned out, you know, I, I think that you will win uh, more times than you should if it were purely based on chance. Right. Um, okay, so I think we touched on, we, we talked a lot about trading, um, mm. and that was helpful. Uh, we talked about the different uh, values of properties and why you would or would not want to have them, you know, you know and how, how you should value them uh, respective to one another in trades and such. Like, of course, first time around the board, you probably want to buy, but after that, you want to have a, you want to have metrics uh, by which to compare them. So uh, now we get to a fun, uh, a fun part, and we're going to talk about jail. Uh, so how are we doing on time? We got maybe like 15, 15 or so minutes left. Got it. So um, yeah, let's talk about jail. So there are a few different ways that you can go to jail. Uh, you can land on the go to jail space on the board, uh, or there are, I think, I think there's one of each in chance and community chest, uh, card that just says, go to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Um, right. Always very fun when, uh, your opponent picks that card. Uh, but as we'll see, uh, going to jail is not always a bad thing. Right. So I can take, I can take the lead on this one. Uh, what? The thing about jail is that um, it prevents you from moving around the board. So it doesn't prevent you from doing anything else. In the beginning of the game, this is huge because you need to be able to land on properties to buy them. It's almost never worth it to be in jail for any amount of time in the beginning of the game because you just need the movement. The $200 you get from passing go is huge and you need that income. However, as soon as houses start showing up, uh, especially houses on your opponent's side, you start to lose money by going around the board. So every, you know, discounting what you're getting from rent. Um, just the fact that there are, that your opponents have high rent properties on the board makes it so that you just taking your three or four turns to walk around the board, you're probably going to pay more than $200 in rent. So you'd rather just sit in jail, um, do nothing while your properties that have houses on them collect money for you. So this is just like Martha Stewart, right? Exactly. Just like Martha Stewart. <laughs> and so that's, I mean, it's not a huge, um, that's really all there is to it is that you need to think about what you gain from walking around the board yeah. and what you lose from walking around the board. And it's just going to transition. It's just going to shift from early game to late game. Yep. So that, yeah, that's, that's jail. Basically jail's an advantage. Yeah. If you have it. Yeah. If so late in the game. Yeah, so basically, in terms of wanting to get out of jail, can, so actually, this is this is more of a rules question. If you're in jail, are you allowed to not try to roll and get out? No, I don't believe that's, I believe you have to roll. You have to roll to get yeah. out, okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, so then, um, so then early in the game, like, you most likely want to just pay the $50 to get out. You should just, uh, just instead just of trying rolling doubles, unless, so... One of these, uh, one of these sources brought this up, and uh, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily believe this based on what we've said about wanting to buy properties early in the game. But if you stay in jail and you try to roll doubles, 
uh, to get out, you have like a one third chance of landing on one of those orange properties. Right. So if it's early in the game and nobody else owns those, is it like, you know, is it profitable to try and roll doubles? And if you don't roll doubles on your first roll, then the next time you get to try again. Right. So let's so, just, yeah. easy way to do this is just to math it out. Yeah. Say you get sent to jail. First time for you, you, you decide you're gonna try to roll out, okay? You have a one-sixth chance of rolling doubles. Mm. Um, that's just because you right. have to roll the same number that you rolled. Like, say you rolled one die and then you roll the next die. You have to roll the same number yep. that you rolled the first time. So yep. one-sixth chance. So after that one-sixth chance, you have a one-third chance mm-hmm. of getting the, one of the orange tiles. Yeah. So that's a one one eighteenth chance every uh-huh. one of the three turns. Right. Meanwhile, now and like so that's you know if you really wanted to find out your probability of not getting it at all, you yeah. have to do seventeen over eighteen, raise to the third, one minus all this kind yeah. of stuff. Basically, you're Meanwhile, not. It's not that likely. Right. Even if you try to roll doubles, I would say you're just way better off. Yeah. Taking taking like paying the fine, getting out because you're just. Way more likely to at least land on one property. It might not right. be an orange, right? But exactly. I mean, it might you might get a pink or a railroad or yeah. You know. But the thing is that, like theoretically, you, you mean you know it makes sense, right? Like you really want those properties, but it's not like you're already just not that likely to get them, regardless. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the cost of letting your opponents continue to run around and buy properties while you're stuck trying to get this one or two is probably just not not a good strategy right so yeah okay cool now say okay like say there are the only two properties left on the board maybe of course, yeah, this yeah, gives yeah, you, yeah for sure that's your best shot yeah but if there's a ton <laughs> of properties left it's not worth it yeah okay yeah that makes sense um and then get out of jail free cards um that that would seem to be so so side note you are allowed to sell your get out of jail free cards for any price to your opponents uh, if somebody is selling you a get out of jail free card, you would be stupid to pay more than $50 because I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Yeah. So we got to check this. So if you hit a go to jail tile mm-hmm. and I believe you have a card, do you still move to jail or do you just stay? That's a great, so that's a different question. Uh, let me see if I can find that out yeah, wait, real quick, because I think it would be a little more complicated. Granted, I would never pay more than a hundred just as a general rule, because I don't know that it's worth it that much. And, and you don't know it. You can't buy it once you hit the tile, you know. You have to buy the card in advance. I would still say that it's not a great idea to pick up get out of jail free cards. Yeah. In general, you're you're. it's just auxiliary. You don't need a get out of jail free card to win. It's like paying, it's like paying for a life insurance policy, except the payoff's way less. You're paying for like a fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy, and your you know monthly fees are like a hundred dollars, right? Like, yeah. You're you're paying way more. You'd be paying money that you could use for a yeah. house or something. Yeah, that's true. For something that might not even happen. Right. Yeah. That's so, a that's a really good way to look at it. Uh, like, you know, you could you could be throwing that money into a into a property, which is going to make you returns. Um. Yeah. So. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm looking at the rules, and all I'm seeing for now is if you land in jail, you must exit on your next turn by 
one using a get out of jail free card if you have one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because I think so it doesn't um, stop you from cause moving. Because I, I feel like it doesn't stop you from moving because it inherently it's a get out of jail free card, and you can't get mm. out of jail if you're not first in jail. So that makes sense. Yeah, so uh, we're just gonna go with that interpretation. Uh, but if anyone uh, has a different interpretation or can find something to prove us wrong, please, we would love to hear about it. Right. Um, okay. So, so I think uh, that that covers jail. Okay, uh, quantity of money in the game. Uh, so now we're, we're getting into more of the... Uh, this is purely the, theoretical. Yeah, it's, it's the theory. This yeah. is just an idea. Um, and this is kind of something that I've thought of myself. Well, not that I've thought of it myself. It all, it all stems from this article that I read that um, you know was based off the idea that if you want to play a fast game of Monopoly, mm-hmm. all you do is double the money that you get when you pass Go. You add more money in the game, it goes quicker. Hmm. Now, it's kind of similarly, my idea of this is, my idea of like quantity, keeping track of the quantity of money in the game is big because the only money that gets introduced to the game uh, is the 1500 that you get when you start, the $200 you get each time you pass go, and any money you get from the community chest and chance cards, um, and possibly free parking if you're uh, mm-hmm. playing with that rule set. Right. And so, and meanwhile, things that take money out of the game would be buying properties, paying for houses, um, any negative like taxes or community chest chance, those take money away from the game. So there's a finite number or finite amount of money in the game. Mm-hmm. You can kind of measure how far you are in the game by how much money there is kind of because of this. Mm-hmm. Like generally the amount of money is going to increase. Mm-hmm. Um, and also certain properties are going to be more valuable when there's less money total in the game versus when there's more money total in the game. And for example, the ones, the light blue uh, Monopoly, when there's not a lot of money in the yeah, game, that makes a lot of sense. you know, hitting a light blue property with three houses is huge. Yeah. Because you likely don't have that much money and, and it's a huge swing. Like, you know, if you get $600 or I don't know what the rent is, $400, $600 in rent, that's a $1,200 swing. Yeah, because the other player gains it, but no money like no money is technically added to the game in this area. Right. It's just changing hands. Yeah. So you you've swung a huge amount of money in your favor that you can do other stuff with. Yeah. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. So basically, like in the scenario we were talking about earlier, if there was a ton of money in the game, um, in that uh, when we were thinking about trading the blue monopoly for the. Yellow Monopoly. If there's a ton of money in the game, maybe... Like, like, say, like say it's been yeah. gridlocked. No one's trading a Monopoly. Yeah. So you're just going around the board collecting money. And then, yeah. And then there's a lot of money in the game. And then take it Yeah. There. And then uh, you have the blue and your opponent has the yellow. Well, you know immediately that, like, your opponent has way more than, like, you know, $1,500 or whatever he needs to build um, three houses on this set of properties. And so, like... You're like I'm. I'm giving this person way more than I'm getting in this trade because, um, like, they're going to be able to develop and they're going to be able to see the returns and pull more out and of it. pull more out of it. Yeah. So yeah, again, timing of the game uh, really matters when it comes to thinking about what deals are good for you, and you kind of just gotta, um, yeah, know 
uh, know the game, uh, know your opponents, have a nose for for that sort of thing. Right. Uh, and you got to be able to think on your feet. <laughs> and this so. is also something that maybe we uh, might have skipped over, but just like uh, we haven't really talked a ton about when to start building. Ah, okay. Um, we can touch on that real quick. And and so what do you so think? why? So I I would think you would want to start building. So with a caveat, so I would think you'd want to start building as soon as you have a monopoly, unless like, you know, maybe, uh, maybe like you're about to buy some other property and you want to use the money for, for that first before you start building. Or like you think you might, you might be about to land on somebody's square square and get bankrupt. Uh, and so you want to hold off on building until the next turn. But like, I feel like barring certain like tactical um like cross-sectional considerations um like momentary like yeah this is the game state exactly now yeah i feel like barring any of those considerations you probably want to just start building right when you get the monopoly is that correct or what do you think well I, i would agree with you on that i would say that really yeah the key is knowing what those situations are where you wouldn't so and and also knowing that sometimes it just comes down to you risking the game mm. because you know one of my considerations that i would say is like don't go betting all your money don't go putting all your money into houses if you're right next to someone with a huge with with that's already developed their properties right yeah <laughs> if you're about to pay a huge rent don't waste don't put your money into houses however if you look at that scenario further you notice that you're already behind Mm-hmm. Because they have a develop, they have developed properties, and you don't. Mm-hmm. Now, even if you were to save your money and pay the huge rent, you're probably still going to lose, or you're going to be in a bad spot. Sure. Whereas it might be worth it to just risk, just say, you know what, I, yeah. I'll risk the game on this one third chance. Uh, I have a one third chance of landing on it, but I have a two third chance of not. I'm going to risk it and see what happens. Yeah. Sometimes that's what it comes down to when you're in a losing position, you're forced to make decisions yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, the yeah, you know, don't back your opponent into a corner. But, yeah. Um yeah, so so I think it brings up the same question you asked before of like what monopoly is going to win me the game? Like you have like you have to be thinking about winning and right. you know, it's it's not just about staying alive and stay like staying in the black until the next turn or you know, it's about like Am I going to, if if I don't do this right now, I'm either going to lose one turn from now or lose two turns from now. But if I do this right now, I might lose this turn, but I also might come back. But I have a chance you know, at least coming so, back. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's just that's just what it comes down to. Otherwise, yeah, if you're ahead, if you're like the first one to get a Monopoly, mm-hmm. definitely build. buy, build, build as, build, as build, much build. as you can because you're not going to be paying out that much yeah. in rent. As you sure. go across the board, like you can mortgage something mm-hmm. else to pay for yeah. your rent for for a round. So yeah, right. and now I'm now I'm seeing like why why people might be more willing to trade because if one person gets the first monopoly, then well, hey, unless we do something, we're all screwed. Exactly. <laughs> there, it's you. You're everyone's so, afraid. Even if this is uneven, I might I might go ahead and do it because like yeah, otherwise. It's over quickly. I guess so, that's what some people want, but like everyone's <laughs> looking at their position and they're saying, "Okay, given the properties that I have, um, you know, if I make this move, I'll have a less. You know, say you're playing with four people. If I make this move, I'll have a less than twenty five percent chance of winning. However, 
it's still my best move. <laughs> like I'll still be behind, but I'll be less behind if I make this trade. And you can kind of play on that with people. You can take advantage of knowing that people sometimes have to make subpar moves because it's still their best move available. Yeah. It yeah. still benefits them in some way, but it's not the best, like it's not an ideal move. Yeah. Okay, so we wanted to talk about the housing shortage tactic. Uh, and then we also wanted to talk about some some other um, like non-one-for-one trading scenarios like a railroad for a monopoly or uh, two monopolies for one monopoly, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think I think those frameworks can uh, generally be summed up in what we've already said in that right. it depends on the state of the game. It depends on how much money is in the game. It depends on like the position of like immediate Europe, position of pieces. Immediate position of pieces. Uh, the the like monetary position of like your opponents who are not the ones that are part of this trade that might go down right as well. So um, I think I think we don't really need to go through those any further. Uh, but let's let's talk about housing shortage because it's just a fun one to talk about. Right. So housing shortage is a tactic that uses the fact that I believe there is exactly twenty eight houses mm-hmm. and. Um, 12 hotels the hotels aren't as relevant but yeah <laughs> they're exactly you know 28 houses included with every monopoly set and you think you know in other parts of monopoly for money for, for example there is a rule saying you know if you run out of money the banker can write you little slips mm. that say how much money you have however for houses there yeah, that's like explicitly yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah for houses though that's explicitly not allowed there are only 28 houses available to all players. So you can take advantage of this fact. The idea of the housing shortage strategy is that you want to buy, you want to get a monopoly or two, you ideally want to have two, um, and you want to buy four houses on each of those properties. And that way you're taking up, what would that be? Gosh, what is that? 24. Uh, 24. That'd be 24 (laughs) houses gone. So uh, anyone else can only build four houses, right? Yeah. So at that point you've basically won. Right. Um, and so, Dan, what, what are the kind of ins and outs of this strategy? Like, what, what are your opinions on it? I think having two monopolies before anyone else has one, or, I mean, yeah, before anyone else has more than one is probably unrealistic. And also it has to, like, you need a lot of capital to build those houses up. So I don't know, maybe if you had, like, two really cheap monopolies, you might be able to do it. Right. Uh, but... Yeah, I think that yeah. mostly it's you're trying to do it with Baltic and uh, and uh, light blue and the light blue like or connect, possibly light blue and pink. Vermont. Yeah, right. Yeah, so like like either two fifties or a fifty and a one hundred in terms of like the the price of houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so I feel like um, even I guess even having one monopoly with four houses on each square is going to sap. The housing market pretty heavily. I'm trying to think of if there's if there's four players, and you have these twelve houses. That means there are sixteen houses left. Around. Yeah, and so that means you know, like between your a other couple three people players, yeah, could put up three houses right. on monopoly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I think that's pretty. That sounds pretty solid. But like, how much, how much different would that be? from having like three houses on each of those. 
Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. And obviously you take, you're taking out three to five or, you know, three to six houses from the market by having only three as opposed to having four. Right. And I think that that could be, that could be a deal breaker. Um, it could be big. Yeah. And you and also I think that the point you get to a point where if you have those two monopolies, what else are you going to put your money into? Right. So if you, if you, yeah. the, well, I'm talking about like if you have one monopoly. Oh, okay. If you have one monopoly, is it worth it to put four if you could just do three? Hmm. Because um, again, like I, I said that probably if you have two monopolies, you're probably going to win anyway. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that's the thing. Just by building houses in general. Right. So that's why we kind of, Dan and I have talked about this and, and kind of consider this strategy to be win more. Mm-hmm. Um, if merely for the fact that if you're in a position to work to cause a housing shortage, you're probably also just in a position to win the game yeah. by playing soundly, mm-hmm. you know, buying your three houses and being smart, right? So, yeah, I, I think that in the case of having just one monopoly, the thing is, though, that if you have nothing else to invest your money into mm-hmm. and you have extra money, you might you might as well. Yeah, um, especially with the cheaper properties. But um, it shouldn't be something that you yeah. aim to do. Right. I guess is what I, like, my conclusion is that, like, this is a strategy where it's, it's, we're talking about it as a strategy, mm-hmm. a specific tactic, but it should just be a general thing that you consider. It's something that you factor in when you're making your game state kind of observations. When you're saying, yeah. should I make this trade? You're also looking at how many houses there are left because you're looking at how able you and the other player are to develop your monopolies, yeah. something like that. So it, to me, it's just something to keep in mind. Like this housing shortage rule is huge mm-hmm. in yeah. specific scenarios. <laughs> right, right. It won't be huge every game. And you should definitely keep an eye out for it if one of your opponents is just trying to like build up all these houses. Right, because imagine... Keep that in mind, like maybe build earlier than you otherwise would. Right. Yeah. And, and if you're able to pull off this strategy once... You are freaking <laughs> legendary... For like, yes. and and like, we're making this podcast so you can maybe like impress people with your with your like knowledge of gaming. So like, if you pull this strategy, this like housing shortage victory one time, you are like the bee's knees forever. Even if you suck the rest of the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, and and but I will tell you, it won't work the second time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Playing the same Probably people. Also true. Yeah. No, definitely playing they, the same if, people. It's sure. a tactic that can easily be outmaneuvered. Yeah. Because you have it relies on you trading or somehow achieving multiple monopolies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even if like that's that's where the strategy shines. If you're playing with people that are really into their big monopolies, right? Mm-hmm. You can take advantage yeah. of this and yeah. early on trade for the Baltic. Um, the purple monopoly, and then somehow get your hands on another one, another small yeah, one, which right. is possible because you can make trades that look awful for you on the sur- surface. You're trading right. a light blue for a red, yeah, and completing monopolies on either side. Mm-hmm. But you know you have the means to develop yours faster, or something like that. Yeah. You can play off of people's inability to judge what your strategy is. Yeah, but that's why it won't work twice. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. All right, well, I think we are out of time. Actually, I think we're pretty, pretty over time. time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this has been fun. Uh, I hope you learned something. Uh, we sure did. Yeah. Uh, so I a lot. Uh, yeah, we are. 
Yeah, by the time you are listening to this podcast, it will probably have a title and, uh, you oh, know, no. maybe sponsors someday. So, uh, yeah, but bottom line is uh, we hope you learned something and we hope it's helpful. And uh, we can't wait to see you next time uh, when we talk about another game. We're going to take another game and dissect it similarly. Yep. Um, we've got a few things on the list, right? Yep. Risk, Parcheesy, sure a few things. Parcheesy, yeah, so, some backgammon. Right. So if yep. you are interested in board games of all kinds, then we're your guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. We hope you enjoyed it and that you learned something. We always do. If you like our show, please tell your friends and be sure to rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by typing our acronym, H-T-B-Y-K-A-B-G, in the search bar. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions for games you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at H-T-B-Y-K-A-B-G at gmail.com or message us on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.